Well, good morning, church. How are we today? Good, good. Let me invite you to turn to First uh, Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Have you ever uh, encountered a situation in which someone around you got to do something that you really wanted to do? Perhaps it was an older sibling going away with friends on a fun trip, or maybe it was just a group of friends that you got invited to, but you weren't even able to join for some reason. Or imagine being the person who had the good news to bring to someone, but you yourself weren't able to participate in that good news. I recently kind of experienced that with our sending our oldest daughter to college. She started at Cedarville this fall. And if you've sent a child to, to college, you know there's, there's a lot to do to get ready. Uh, first of all, financial aid. You're applying for scholarships, and you're waiting to hear back from those scholarships to see what you've received. And then upon that, you might have to look into further financial aid to make sure you have enough to, to go. It's a big process. And for our family, I'll never forget that day when we had figured everything out and were able to tell Reese that she was going to the college that she had wanted to go to since she was nine years old. It was an absolute joy to be able to tell her that. There were certainly tears in my eyes with the delivery of that good news, but I also must admit I was a little jealous. You know, personally, my... My college experience, I mean, it was fine, but I felt like I had missed out on so much, and, and we've just personally come to love Cedarville and all that it stands for. And so sending her, there, there was this sense of like, man, I wish I had what she had. But my joy in Cedarville is held mainly just by inquiring about it hearing about it. I don't get to partake in a, attending classes. I don't get to be a part of the student body and, and enjoy the college life that she gets to enjoy. There's a, a similar picture that we get here in our passage this morning. You see, Peter wrote in his letter about the prophets who spoke of the things they often never got to see come to pass. You see, the prophets were messengers of God that delivered often hard things. I mean, they had to deal with sinful, grumbly people who didn't always respond appropriately. They didn't always repent. They had to warn people of destruction. We saw that with Jonah, where he went to warn the people and call them to repentance. And then sometimes the prophets told of things that were to come to the future, which is what we see here taking place by Peter. The title of the message is The Wonder of Being Alive in Christ. The Wonder of Being Alive in Christ. Here's the big idea uh, for us this morning. It is, it is an amazing gift to be alive in Christ on this side of his resurrection. See, the prophets, they had this amazing news to deliver, but they didn't get to see it come to pass. And we, this morning, are reaping the benefits. We are reaping the good news completed that they could only foretell about. So let's jump into the passage this morning and see what the Lord has for us today. First Peter 1, starting in verse 10. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, I thank you for the benefits that we reap from being on this side of Christ. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would leave us utterly amazed at your power and at your goodness. Lord, protect us from from just being familiar with the gospel. Instead, let us be overwhelmed at your power. Let us be overwhelmed by the reality of the truth of Scripture. Lord, of prophecies that were foretold thousand years before you came. Lord, I pray that you would freshly amaze us today. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Speak through me now. Give us ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've only got two points today. Uh, And each of them are referring to beings that existed before Christ entered into our world. Before Christ lived the perfect life that we could not live and then died a sinner's death. And defeating death by rising again from the grave. Here's the first thing that we see in this text. The prophets only knew in concept what we know in completion. The prophets only knew in concept what we know in completion. Let's look at that text again. Concerning this salvation, this is referring to everything that he had said before. We're not going to review that. But concerning that salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here in 1 Peter, Peter turns the attention of his readers to the prophets who spoke of the things his audience had experienced, the things that his audience had heard from the preachers that came to them speaking by the Holy Spirit. Things that the prophets never saw come to pass. For them, it was only things that, words that they had received, but they didn't get to experience them. Now, now we see sprinkled throughout the Old Testament several prophecies made about Jesus, the coming Messiah. In the New Testament, you see that people were anticipating a Savior that was to come. They knew there was a Messiah based on what the Old Testament said. But for the followers of Christ during Jesus' time on earth, they didn't grasp why Jesus came. 
They, they couldn't fully understand what his purpose was. There was a lot of confusion and mixed up anticipation that really caused issues for people there. You see, the Jews were, weren't looking for a sacrificial lamb to come and give his life up because that would show weakness and a conquering king, a king doesn't come to give his life as a ransom. He comes to crush his enemies. Like this is what they were expecting. That's what the Jews wanted. They, they wanted a king to come and overthrow the Romans so that they then could rule with their Messiah. Certainly it is true that Jesus is a conquering king. Amen? But he did not come as they expected. That's not what Peter was drawing out either to give the attention to the prophets. He wasn't calling them out, hey, beware of this conquering king. That's not what Peter reminds them of. Notice what he is saying. Notice what the people prophesied about. The grace that was to be theirs, verse 10. Verse 11 says they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit that is, was indicating when he predicted what? The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The one thing Peter was pointing out here is I want you to understand what the prophets prophesied about. They, would, they didn't, yes, they, there was prophecies of, of a king coming, but the focus that Peter wanted to draw their attention to was that this Messiah would be one that would suffer. That's not words of conquering, at least not in a worldly sense. And a suffering Messiah would have been a stumbling block to many Jews. Yet, as we will see shortly, it was right there in the Old Testament. You know, often I read through the Old Testament and I'm amazed at how often the people neglected to hear the teachings given to the Israelites. They, they failed to understand like this was going to be a suffering king that would come. He would suffer on our behalf. Yet often I had to remind myself too of how many things do I miss in Scripture and I have the entire Bible in my hands. You can have the truth, but if you aren't seeking the Lord in it, you too can miss so much. So let's look at some of these passages that these prophets told about foretelling of a suffering Messiah. Now, if you know your Bible well, you know that we hear of a suffering king when? When's the first time we hear about it? In Genesis, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're gonna, you're going to get your Bibles really, uh, you're going to use it a lot this morning. We're going to have one, on, I think we have one scripture on the screen, but everything else, I want you guys to turn and look with me. Genesis chapter 3. Now, before we read, let me just set up the scene here of, of where things are at in this. So at this point, in Genesis 3, what we're going to read, Adam and Eve were told to eat of anything except for one tree. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then here comes a slippery serpent that comes and, and tells him, did God really say that? I mean, do you really think you're going to die? He just doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows that if you do, you're going to be like him. 
And so this, this tempted Adam and Eve, and they're like, oh, man, we could be God? And so they ate of the fruit, and, and here in verse 14, the Lord is uh, going to deliver the consequences of their foolishness, and really it's, it's the serpent that I want to point to. And this is what God said to that serpent in verse 14 and 15. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see a hint of suffering. See, Satan, when, when Jesus died, he, he thought he had won. He, and really, that was all part of God's plan to conquer death and sin. But we see the hint of suffering that would come to the Savior. Now, turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 was written by King David. As you know, uh, the, the kingship would never leave the house of David was the promise given. There would always be a king of David, and Jesus was in David's lineage. And here we see a foretelling of what Jesus would say. So let's just highlight a few of these verses to, to get, a, get the picture that Jesus' suffering is mentioned often in the Old Testament. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Of course, this is what Jesus said on the cross as he's dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say here, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Was Jesus despised by, by the people? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joints. My heart, this is what happened when you're hanging on the cross. Your, your body just begins to fall apart. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of, of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. We see, we know that Jesus had his hands pierced and his feet pierced. I can count all my bones. This is referencing the fact that not a bone of Jesus' body would be broken. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is... This is a prophecy. This is a foretelling of what would take place with Jesus. And Jesus was in the lineage of David. Now, I would imagine for many of us here, if we're thinking about prophets who foretold of Christ's sufferings, who's the main one we would turn to? Isaiah. Isaiah. Look at verse, uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. This is probably the most famous passage of Christ's suffering that we see in the Old Testament. All throughout Isaiah, 
there's, there's this understanding that a king is coming, a Messiah is coming. Let me just read, uh, really, I'm just going to read all of this, and, and we see very clearly, we, we see Christ in Isaiah 53. Isaiah was foretelling of what would take place. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. You see, you know, you have pictures of Jesus that try to make these all glorious looking pictures. It's not like you would look at Jesus and be like, like, I mean, he's a model or, or something like that. He was not impressive as far as the way he looked. No beauty that we should desire him. Desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and a Acquainted with grief. I mean, you think of Jesus in the garden, and he's, he's so worked up over what is coming his way that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Who, who was it that ultimately killed Jesus? It was the Father. Why was he crushed? He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that what? Brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin of every person who would ever believe was placed on Christ on the cross. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. We see all throughout his trial, Jesus remaining, did not say much at all. Like a lamb, what do we call Jesus? Lamb of God. That is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. That, that is literal. We might, we might say of somebody, like, man, you know what? Like, he never told a lie. Like, we might, like, say that towards somebody who is, we don't really, like, fully mean it. With Jesus, there was literally no deceit ever found in his mouth. That's only true of one person who has ever lived. And we see here who was the one ultimately responsible for crushing Christ, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We see what happens at, that, at salvation. We receive his righteousness. He takes on our iniquity. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, which right now is happening for you. 
This was written long before Jesus came. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. Isaiah didn't get to experience it. He had the concept of what was taking place, but we live in its completion. If you remember in Acts, Philip came up on the eunuch who was reading the scriptures and he could not grasp it because he was not a believer and he's confused. What was he reading? He was reading about the suffering prophet in Isaiah. And so these prophets who were led by the Spirit of Christ to say what they say, they searched and inquired about who the person would be and when he would come. This understanding here, the way it's worded, that they searched diligently as one who would study the Scriptures. And so perhaps they were just combing through the things that they had written down on behalf of the Lord. Perhaps they had access to other Scriptures that other prophets had said, and they're trying to figure out what. Was going to, when was this going to take place? Who was going to be the Messiah? I mean, can you imagine being one of these prophets and longing to see this come true? Wondering if it would happen in their lifetime? I mean, what was Isaiah thinking? In, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, uh, he, he prophesied about a child who would be born, who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, one who would reign forever. What was it like to receive this amazing news and then longing to know, would I see it? Could the Messiah be amongst us even now? Yet, they came to realize that they would not be the ones to see it happen on earth. Ultimately, their words were here to serve future generations. And here's the amazing thing, brothers and sisters. We are recipients of this amazing news. We are on this side of Christ completing what the prophet said he would do. As we read through the Bible, we see all these things said about a Messiah that came true in Jesus who fulfilled everything said about him. And so for every believer here, the ones who have truly repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit confirms in our hearts that these things of, tr- of Christ are true. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what do we take of all this? What does this mean for us? Why would Peter write such things? What what are we to do with this? I would start by saying, if we believe the Bible to be true, this should leave us amazed. These were things that were said 3,000 plus years ago, some of them. And Jesus was not on the scene, and yet, 2,000 years ago, Christ was born into this world. I, mean, I want you to think about this. How many times in your lifetime, and, and maybe if you're younger, you, you can't recall, have people predicted when the world would end? We got the, what was the, the one calendar that was, there was, it, it had ended at, I forget what year it was. Multiple times in my lifetime, people have said, the, earth, the world is going to end on this day. And basically what I say is a 100% guaranteed the world is not going to end on that day. <laughs> because nobody knows the time. 
Nobody knows when. And so, so many things have been said that don't come to pass. And yet, we look at the Old Testament and realize that everything that was said of Jesus came true in Christ. I just read a couple of many prophecies that were made of Jesus that came true. This should overwhelm us with the reality of God's power, his ability to, to see the future and to know what's coming, to plan it, and then tell us. And then we get to take part in this. I think many of us, why we struggle with this is because the Bible was written 2,000 plus years ago, and so we feel so far removed that it's, it, it doesn't often affect us in a way that, that it should we're often left unmoved. But, but imagine, the, imagine this morning if I came up to you and said, Heather and Eric, I got something to tell you guys. The Lord spoke to me today, and someone's given you $10,000 this week. What would you think? You'd be like, you're crazy. <laughs> then you're like, Lord, please. <laughs> right? Like, but imagine then Tuesday or Wednesday or someday this week, somebody calls you guys up and said, hey, we just were impressed upon our heart to give you this amount of money. Would you not be utterly amazed at that? If that was true for you, if I came and said that to you because the Lord gave me a message, would that not leave you undone? And yet how often are we unmoved by the fact that the Old Testament written thousands of years before Jesus came, some of it came true in the New Testament. And, and think about it. From a world's perspective, who would have predicted the king of kings to be crucified? I mean, our culture thrives on heroes. It, it thrives on being strong. It, it thrives on living happily ever after. We love a good story of domination. Culture doesn't tend to be attracted to weakness or in Jesus' character, Jesus' uh, Reference meekness, power under control. Who would want to see a leader come who would be treated like a criminal, die a criminal's death? And listen, if we lived back in Bible times, we would have struggled too to imagine a suffering Messiah. And even Peter doubted it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew, or Peter himself was not immune to disbelief when it came to a suffering king. He, he himself longed to see someone overthrow the Romans. He was sort of a hothead, right? Like, like he fought against things all the time. He stood up strong. But we see this in Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer Many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And here we have Peter being who he is, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking the king of kings? <laughs> Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, Peter, Peter doesn't, uh, he's not writing 1 Peter with any kind of pride behind it. 
This is not a, come on guys, you got to understand this. He is coming with the guy, with the guy well, the, from a place of humility because he himself didn't even foresee Christ's suffering and Christ told him he would. So Peter had his own sense of awe and wonder after Christ was crucified and rose from the grave and he, along with the other disciples, their eyes were opened and finally they saw what he had been telling them and what the scriptures have foretold long before. What a gift to have someone write down a thousand years prior what took place during his lifetime. And don't miss this. Let us too be amazed. When you encounter these prophecies and the fulfillment of them, take time to praise God for it. We get to be on this side of Christ, and God's Spirit lives in us and confirms these things to be true. That's what kind of struck me this week is like, I know these things to be true. And here's the beauty, too. You can even read historians that lived during the time of Christ who would stand for some of these things. Uh, Josephus. These literally came true, these prophecies that were spoken of. This should leave us all and amazed. Another thing that grows my faith when I think about these things is when I consider how we even got this word of God in our hands. I think of the many lives that were taken away from them because they were trying to translate it into the common man's language so that every person could read their own words, including English. I think of the disciples after Jesus resurrected from the grave, continued to follow after him, and many of them, most of them, being martyred for their faith. Why would they die for something if they thought it was untrue? Why would someone be willing to give their life up to bring the scriptures into the common man's language. It's because the Spirit of God knows that this is what we need. This is the life for us. So how do we respond? We respond in worship. What a Savior we have who suffered for our sake. Lift high the name of Jesus and then go tell others about his goodness. Perhaps you are struggling with unbelief this morning and yet the Spirit attests to the truth in you. you. You know it to be true, but you're struggling to believe it. May I encourage you to pray this, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Spend some time meditating on the unity of Scripture and the fact that we still have it thousands of years later and it's still changing lives on a daily basis. Even after trying to be destroyed, God has not allowed that to be the case. The prophets only knew in concept what we know in completion. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through the, those who preached with the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here's the last point. 
the angels can only look into what we live in. The angels can only look into what we live in. This is an interesting thing for Peter, isn't it? Like, why is he bringing angels into this? How do they fit into this? But what Peter is going after is an understanding of how amazing our salvation is. That's what he wants you to see here. First, with the prophets, they prophesied about what took place not too long before his letter here. That Jesus is everything the prophets talked about. What confirmation of an amazing reality that the Messiah came and defeated death through his own suffering. And here he adds fuel to the fire, speaking about how the angels long to look onto the scene of salvation. And they simply can't grasp and understand what has taken place. They long to look into our salvation. They aren't just up there tending to God, oblivious to everything else going on in the world. They look on what Christ has done in amazement. They observe what Jesus has done for humanity and look at it in wonder. They can't make sense of it. Now, let's get a couple things uh, clear about angels. First of all, we are not angels, nor will we become angels. And every time a bell rings, it doesn't mean an angel gets his wings. <laughs> After we die, we don't get wings and then sit on clouds all day playing harps. I know some people I talk to is like, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to get wings. I don't want to play harps on clouds. That's, that's not what, what takes place. Nor do real angels, real angels do that, by the way. We must understand that angels are distinct from us. They were not made in the image of God, but we are. And the angels have had a much different view of everything than we have had. I mean, just think about what they personally experienced. First of all, they, they witnessed the fall of Satan and, and with him many other heavenly beings. But think about this. There was no chance of redemption for them. Once they made their decision to rebel against Almighty God, their eternity was set. Suffering in hell would be their fate. Jesus didn't die for them. He died for the sins of every human who would ever believe. And so the angels who are in heaven longing to look at salvation, they have not tasted sin personally. They don't understand what it is like to be separated from God. They don't know what it's like to feel the weight of their own sin and know there is nothing they can do in their own strength to be made right with God. They don't know how guilt and hopelessness, how that comes from our sin. All they have seen is God's wrath being poured out and judgment brought, but they have never experienced the mercy and understanding that lawbreakers can receive mercy because they themselves have not needed it. Think about it. Before creation, what happened when the heavenly beings rebelled against God? They received judgment. Period. But for Christians, we were born rebels, and yet God has given us mercy. As believers, we know what it means to be redeemed, and this has the angels longing to look in the glorious reality of it. 
as they see the reigning king giving his life as a ransom for sinners, this has left them undone. They, they know of redemption to a certain extent. Point. They're interested in it, but they aren't in need of it, and so they can't fully understand the joy that we experience in light of our salvation. Brothers and sisters, it is a glorious thing to be saved. This is why Peter is sharing about the prophets and the angels. It is far too incredible than they could ever fully grasp. We deserve eternal punishments like those heavenly beings who rebelled. And yet right now, Jesus is preparing a place for us in glory with him. So as we close, let me ask you, are you thankful this morning for all the Lord has done for you and what he is going to do for you? Do you allow that then to fuel you in seasons of suffering? Remember, this is written to elect exiles, those who are not home yet, who are suffering, experiencing persecution because of their faith, and this is why Peter is opening up this way, reminding them of this great salvation they received, reminding them of the amazement of all the prophets who had spoke about a coming Messiah that all came true in Christ, and they were on the other side of Christ, rising from the grave. They've received the Spirit of God. Be amazed, believers, what he's saying. This is something angels look to in awe and wonder, and they can't grasp it, but you can. You know what you deserve and what you have received in Christ. And so we can say, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, these light momentary afflictions aren't worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that awaits you. Brothers and sisters, be amazed at your salvation this morning. So let me ask you again, are you grateful? Do you rejoice in suffering because you know that you are just passing through this world. Perhaps this morning you find yourself lost. You're not a follower of Christ, and, and you're seeing these things, and you're confused, but the Spirit of God is prompting in your soul the need to repent. Let me encourage you this morning. Mark and I will be up here. We'd love to talk with you. If you came with somebody who could speak into your life, of who you trust, I encourage you to find somebody. You can find hope this morning. You can find that the Messiah has paid the price for the sins of every person who would ever believe. So this week, let me encourage you, remember what the prophet said of Christ's sufferings. Remember all of them were fulfilled in Christ. And we have a greater benefit than the prophets received with their initial message. Jesus lives, and his spirit lives within us. And remember that the angels long to look into the redemption that we have received. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't take it lightly. Rejoice in your salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... the way that you work. I thank you for the encouragement from the prophets, Lord, of just to see, Lord, if, if this happened today, if we received a prophecy today that came true this week, Lord, it would leave us undone. 
And Lord, it makes it hard when we're so far removed to be amazed in that way. But I pray that you would do that. Your words are true. You know the future. You hold the future. You are sovereign over it all. And in your sovereignty, you've rescued us from our sins. And you're preparing a place for us, Lord. Let the greatness of our salvation carry us through times of struggle and sorrow and pain and persecution. Let us be amazed, Lord, that you would rescue sinners like us. Things things that the angels just cannot grasp. They long to look into them. Lord, let our lives be a testimony even to the angels of what you have done. Father, you alone are worthy of praise. God, turn our hearts to you this morning. Thank you for your amazing grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you now to sing as we uh, respond to God's word this morning. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Turn in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed upon your face. Praise the Let me give you a couple action steps that you can put into practice this week. First of all, let me encourage you to just memorize this passage. When you're growing weary or familiar, remind yourselves of all the things that were said of Christ before he came on the scene, being born of a virgin. Be amazed. And then next week, or just continue this week to be reading through 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Aaron's going to bring the word next week. 
as I'm going to be gone at a conference all week, I'll be with you. I get to just be hosts, which is nice for me to, to be able to sit and, and dwell and receive from God's word. But uh, excited to have Aaron back up here next week. And then, are you amazed? Are you amazed? And if you find yourself unmoved, perhaps you just need to seek the Lord and, and ask him to help your unbelief. And then lastly, as you grow in amazement, we're not meant to just hoard that amazement to ourselves. God intends for us to share the good news. And so be praying for opportunities to share the good news of Christ, that God would open any doors. But let me just remind you again, as, as Mark shared, if, if you need uh, someone to pray with, someone, it doesn't have to do anything with the message. If you just want somebody to pray for you, you're going through a struggle, or maybe you got something facing this week that you just feel like, man, I need somebody to pray for me. That's what we're here for. We'd love to do that. Find somebody to pray for. Mark and I will be up here at the end. If you have questions on salvation, we'd love to chat with you about those things. But church, let me just remind you that you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.